Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 16, verses 40 through through 49. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble brush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words does them. I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and, not, and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. St. George, Utah. Relentless rains and melting snow caps turn a small river into a raging flood. The rate of the river was, was eroding the land uh, about 10 to 15 feet in 10 to 15 minutes. The family makes it out with seconds to spare. Sadly, all their possessions are still inside. Jesus says people are like houses. He says that each house, each person, you and I face the danger of ending up like that house on the screen. And Jesus addresses this first warning in Luke 6, not to this, to this new community that he is establishing, but not to the people who are outside of that community, but to the people who are inside that community. Every one of us is at risk of being self-deceived to the point where we call Jesus Lord, Lord, and then we don't hear him and do what he says. We can know a lot, like a lot, a lot about the Bible, about God, about Jesus, and not really know him, not really obey him, not really and truly build our lives on him. And if you're here this morning and you're skeptical about Christianity, this might be one of the big reasons as to why. You have seen people who call Jesus Lord, and yet they're bitter, angry, racist, uncharitable, tight-fisted, self-righteous, critical, impatient, and I could go on. And you have concluded that Christianity doesn't actually change people. Or if it does, it doesn't change people for the better. 
Let me give you a reason as to perhaps why this might happen. Just a plausible reason. And it's because Jesus says that it's possible to listen to him without really hearing him. It's possible to call him Lord and to worship him on Sunday mornings and to go to Bible studies and to like scripture quotes on people's Facebook and to not actually hear what he is saying. It's possible to listen to Jesus throughout the course of our lives and then to build our lives on something totally different than the foundation that he offers us. A house is only as good as its foundation, right? It doesn't matter how impressive the house looks above ground. What matters is what's beneath the surface. And it's not always apparent how solid a foundation really is. You have to inspect it. You really have to take a look at it. Because when the weather is nice and dry, any foundation is going to do. But when the flood comes and it gets wet and soggy, you had better have that inspected. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this new community that Jesus has started in Luke 6, right? He's in the Sermon on the Plain, one of his great teachings. And we've asked these questions. What will, what will Jesus' people be known for? What makes them different? And for all of Luke chapter 6, Jesus has been preaching on this new community that he's establishing, and this is how he finishes. He finishes with this passage, and he says, my people, my community, they will be known for their foundation. So here's the question that will guide the rest of our time together. Where are we building our lives? Where are we building our lives? When is the last time we even asked that question? When is the last time we inspected the foundation of our lives? So I want us all to ask ourselves, this life that I'm constructing, what is it built on? And this is why Jesus, after everything he said in his sermon in Luke 6, he ends with something that lies at the bottom. It's at the source of all of his teaching. And I want to read for us verse 47 in our passage today in the message paraphrase version because it gets really at the heart of what Jesus is getting at. Jesus says this, These words I speak are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. So where should we be building our lives? Well, there are three parts of the foundation that I want to give you this morning. And you can inspect your own foundation in light of these pieces and see where it stands. The foundation Jesus is talking about is first built on God's grace, not our guilt. And then it's built on attentive hearing and not hurried distraction. And finally, it's built on active presence, practice, and not passive learning. And so that's just some mental architecture to give you a grid of where we're going during this time. But let's take a look at the first piece of that foundation, God's grace, not our guilt. You can turn with me to Luke 6, 43 through 46. And this is the first part of our passage this morning. And this is before Jesus starts to talk about houses. And what he's doing when he, before he talks about houses, he's talking about trees. And so trees and houses and trees and houses. And you might be thinking, what am I supposed to do with all this? I can't even get one of these metaphors straight, much less two. Um, but I think as we dig in together, we will find that these are intimately connected. And so we have to start with the trees in order to get with the houses. And what was really fresh about this passage today is what Jesus was talking about with the trees. 
So let me paraphrase what Jesus says in verse 43 and 44 about trees. And the scripture will be up behind me. Jesus says, no one can make apples come from thorn bushes. Or much, for that matter, you can't make apples come from a pear tree. Whatever you're dealing with, it's going to have fruit that it is made to produce. So it's in its DNA. It's in its core. It's built into it. An apple has to come from an apple tree. Thorn bushes are going to produce thorns. It's what it's made to do. Each tree has its own fruit that corresponds to it. And that seems simple enough. It just seems like a fact. Thanks, Jesus. As I was reading this passage, I found myself thinking, Jesus, what are you really after? Like, what do you want me to do? Tell me what to do. But this is what was so fresh for me about this passage. What Jesus is saying is that before you can produce fruit that is good, you need to be made good. This isn't something that you can, you can do for me. This is something you need to let me do for you. I need to make you into a good tree that produces good fruit. You can't do it on your own. Let me change your DNA, change your core, change your heart. And I can do that if you accept my grace. And I was reminded this week of how David in the Old Testament, he recognized that he needed God's grace. If you're familiar with David, you know that he had a lot of problems. (laughs) He had some major problems. Even though he was God's chosen king for his people, he had some major issues. And one of those things was his adultery with Bathsheba. He sent her husband to the front lines of war so that he would be killed and then took her for himself. And then in shame and guilt, he ends up sometime after that penning Psalm 51. And this is what he writes in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That word create is a very loaded term in Hebrew. It's barah. And barah is only used when God is the subject. So only used when God is the source of that creative work. And so it's what's used in Genesis, in the creation narrative. And what David is saying here is he needs God to do a new work in him. He said, God, I need a new heart. Cleanse my heart. And this is my point. If you want to produce God's fruit, it's not going to be through your own merit or striving. No matter how hard you try, God's fruit only comes from God's grace that is offered to you through his son Jesus. You need a new heart. You need a new core, a new DNA. You're a bad tree. You need to be made into a good tree. Do you want a foundation that is built on bedrock, that survives, survives the storms of life, then you have to start with God's grace. So what is God's grace? Let's define our terms. Two weekends ago, Jacqueline and I were heading out, Jacqueline's my wife, Jacqueline and I were headed out to Colorado, and we wanted to go to the mountains. Jacqueline loves the mountains, and so we were going to go hit the slopes. 
And uh, if you know anything about Jacqueline, she's like a professional snowboarder. She lived in Alaska and was snowboarding up there. And on our honeymoon, she took me to go skiing for the first time. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like a novice at skiing. So I'm like over there on the Kitty Hill while Jacqueline's like giving high fives to people down the slopes. And uh, on our way out there, Jacqueline was studying. And so I needed to do something to entertain myself on that eight-hour drive through Kansas. And so I listened to an audiobook, and the audiobook was by this guy named Brennan Manning, who's an itinerant speaker. And he said that his message, his life message was grace. And his memoir is entitled All is Grace, which is not surprising. And this is what he has to say about grace. I was trying to think, what, what's a definition I can give you guys? And this stuck out to me. He says this, my message unchanged for more than 50 years is this, God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. It's the message of grace. It's indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all of our might to try to find something or someone it cannot cover. Grace is enough. Jesus is enough. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God's grace is enough for you. Jesus is enough for you. His, he will forgive you. He forgives you. His grace will dispel your shame. His grace will create in you a new heart, and that's what you need. And if you're able to let yourself receive God's grace, truly receive it, then I promise you Jesus will become the treasure of your heart. And that's a lifetime effort, right, to try to understand God's grace and really receive it. But what does Jesus say in verse 45? He says this, the good person out of the good treasure of their heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. What's the treasure of your heart? Is it Jesus? If it's not, then let's start there. Let's build the foundation of our lives there. And I've been a pastor for a good seven minutes now. Um, and in spiritual conversations, I've noticed that Christians have a tendency to forget the grace that they knew at first. This is why we, we came to faith, is because we understood in some small way the grace of God, and it changed us, and we found hope there. And then slowly but surely, we start building our lives on spiritual guilt. And if we build our lives on guilt, then we're just going to be thorn bushes that are trying to produce apples. It doesn't work. And you'll keep telling yourself, just do it. Just do it. I love this meme. If you, I mean, if you haven't seen this video, you have to go check it out afterwards. But why can't you just do it? Why? Because you need God to do it in you. These are the consequences of living our lives out of guilt and not out of God's grace. I'm going to read some of these to you. These are the consequences. This means we'll be trying to feel and we'll try to know God's love and yet we'll feel a deep sense of shame. This means that we'll be trying to live in God's peace, but our inner self will always be very restless. We'll try to manufacture joy, but progressively we'll just become 
unhappy and tired. We'll try to learn patience, and yet with our lives, our lives will be governed by irritableness. And we'll try to discipline ourselves into having more self-control. And yet we'll always find ourselves not up for the task, right? Oh, if only I had more self-control. If only. But if we are able to receive God's grace through Jesus, who died for our sins, who creates within us new hearts through his Holy Spirit, and we found, build our lives on that foundation of grace, then obedience is easier Obedience can become joyful. And progressively, as he molds us through his Holy Spirit, he will produce within us his fruit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He can do that. It has to come from him. And if you're here this morning and you feel like you need to recover Jesus, the grace that you knew at first, the grace that he gives as the foundation of your life and as the treasure of your soul, then I want to ask you something. Do something for me this week. Read Psalm 51. Pray through it. Pray through Psalm 51. Just sit with God in Psalm 51 this week and let him work on your heart. God's word is living and active. It's not just black words on white pages. It's the word of life. So God's grace, not our guilt. This is the foundation we rest our lives on. And there's another piece of the foundation, too, and that's attentive listening, not hurried distraction. Attentive listening and not hurried distraction. Jesus sets this up as he now dips into the metaphor of the house. And this comes in verse 47. He says this. It should be up on the screen behind me. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. Notice if you're going to build on the right foundation, you have to hear what Jesus is saying. And every day we are bombarded with messages, with stories, with information, ideas, and then we have our own incessant inner monologue too, right? And it's all competing for us to hear them over and against the voice of Jesus. And let me show you what I mean. Let me go through your day with you just real quickly for a moment. The alarm on your smartphone beside your bed startles you awake. You pick up your phone, and if you're anything like me, after hitting snooze twice. And immediately you look to see if you have any missed texts. You check your news feed, whether on Twitter or Apple News, and you see if the president has done anything unthinkable again, <laughs> or if the coronavirus has hit Kansas City. You look on Facebook to see what people have birthdays, and then you comment on their wall, or maybe it's your birthday, so you're checking to see who's already posted on your Facebook, and you give them brownie points. And then you go to your inbox or your social media feed and you just start scrolling. You just start scrolling. And your feet haven't even hit the floor yet. And you haven't even had your first cup of coffee yet. And that you are inundated with these messages that can cause anxiety, frustration, discontentment, or fear. And then after a long day of rushing through work and you're making meals and taking care of children or going to work out, then you collapse on the couch to watch The Bachelor <laughs> or Game of Thrones or Friends or this new Netflix show, Love is Blind. With Jacqueline and I, we have watched every episode of Love is Blind. That's a bit of a confession. So in essence, you're numbing yourself with relationship drama, violence, or whatever else is being thrown your way. 
through the show. And this description might feel a little dramatic to you, and I get that. But this is a pattern. It's a set of habits that actively prevents us and works against us from hearing the words of Jesus. So how do we choose the voice of Jesus over and against all these other things in our lives? How do we build a life of attentive listening and not, not hurried distraction? And here's a rhythm I would like to propose for us as a church as we go into the Lenten, Lenten season. And it's this, scripture before phone every day. Scripture before phone. What if we took five minutes to read scripture and five minutes to pray? And then we're attuning our ear to the voice of God. And this plays itself out in all of our lives differently, right? And so the way that I start my morning is I don't like to actually read something. I just can't do it. I can't process it. So I just throw on my, my Beats, like Bluetooth headphones, and I just listen to the scripture on audio book. Before I do that, as I, like, my feet hit the floor and I'm like stumbling my way to the coffee pot, I have this prayer that I just have memorized, right? And this is just, this is just for me. This is my kind of rhythm. It's this prayer that I have memorized, and it's kind of a long prayer, and I heard it in seminary. It was by this pastor, John Stott, who wrote it. It's called Morning Prayer. And so it goes, good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I worship you as creator and sustainer of the universe. Lord Jesus, I worship you as Savior and Lord of the world. Holy Spirit, I worship you as sanctifier of the people of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that I would live this day in your presence more and more and learn to please you. Please you. Jesus, I pray that this day I might pick up my cross and follow you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me with yourself and make your fruit ripe in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy on me. Amen. I know that's complicated. It's not going to work for some people. And for me, it's just like in the back of my head, right? And some days it just sticks out more than others, but it's just part of my rhythm. It's just part of what I do. I can't get it out of my brain now. So instead of starting our day with our phone, what if we started with Psalm 51? Or what if we started with the words of Jesus in Luke 6? Just give yourself 10 minutes. I once heard a young man ask an older preacher, what's the most important thing I can do in my walk of faith? What's the most important thing? And he said, listen to the voice of God the first thing in the morning. Hear what the Father says about you. Because then you're just going to come back to that throughout the course of your day. And the way that I've tried to figure this out in my own life, and again, I can just share from my own personal experience, is that God has taught me for the last few years the discipline of the awkward pause. And I, and I call it that because there's this TV show that I love to watch in high school. It's called The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. How many people have seen that? No one here? Oh, yeah, a few people saw this show when it was on. The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. Craig Ferguson was a Scottish comedian, and he created this, like, anti-late-night talk show. So it was the anti-late-night talk show. And so he was trying to make a mockery of all the other late-night shows, right? And so the way that he would go about doing this is, you know how every late-night talk show host, they have their sidekick. So David Letterman had Paul Schaefer. Jimmy Kimmel had Guillermo. Conan has Andy Richter. Well, Craig Ferguson had this, like, robot skeleton that he just put in the corner. His name was Jeff. And it was just like he, his mouth moved, and this was a terrible voiceover that happened. And then also when Craig Ferguson would invite the guest on stage, you know, on other late-night talk show hosts, right, they have these blue cards where they're reading the questions and the prompts. Well, Craig Ferguson would just rip up that blue card as just a symbolic gesture of, like, I don't care. Anything goes here. This is different. 
And then this is the thing that stood out to me about Craig Ferguson, is that at the end of his interviews, he would offer the guests an awkward pause. Some of you are familiar with the show, know this. And so he'd ask the guests, would you like an awkward pause? And the guests would be like, okay. And he would just stare at them. And the guests would like stare back. And then you could tell if the audience had watched the show because like the audience is trying to figure out what, what's going on. Like the, you know, in-studio audience trying to figure out what's happening. And then you would hear like a couple of nervous laughs across and then they would just cut to commercial break. <laughs> and it was like, what just happened? And I love that. But that's what sticks out to me about the awkward pause. God has been teaching me the discipline of the awkward pause. What does it mean in the middle of my day just to sit with him for 15 and 20 seconds? It feels difficult and uncomfortable and awkward. But if I sit in it and I sit long enough, something happens where I pass a threshold. And I couldn't tell you when it is, but I know when it's happened. And it's because I no longer am feeling like I'm praying to a vague and distant God. I realize that God's presence is with me. He's in the car with me. Or he's in the room with me. And then I start hearing gospel truths. I remember these gospel truths. That he's, he's equipped me to do the work that he has put before me that day. No matter how difficult it is, God is sovereign. And he's on his throne and he's got it under control. And that he sees me with eyes of compassion. And that he calls me his beloved son. And that there's nothing I have to do to win his approval. But can I, live, I can live from a place of acceptance and not a place, and not towards it, not trying to earn it. And it's when I've come to that place where I realize, okay, my heart, again, is at peace. And it's at rest with God. I'll be the first one to tell you, like this awkward pause, it is difficult and it is uncomfortable. It's not easy, but it is so worth it. And Christians throughout the centuries have talked about what it means, what it looks like to pause with Jesus. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he puts it this way. He says, it comes at the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day, they rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And so on all day, standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings, coming in out of the wind. Jesus says that we build a foundation by hearing him and listening to him. And so we can't give up on trying to hear him. I don't want you to give up on trying to hear the voice of Jesus, whether it's through his word or in prayer. Because if you give up, then hear me please. If you don't know what Jesus has said, has said through scripture, and if you aren't giving yourself to a life of trying to attentively hear his voice, you're just doing your best, then you're gonna end up like a house with no foundation. It will collapse when the storm comes. So we build our lives on this foundation of God's grace and not our guilt because we can't earn anything before God. We don't, we don't bring anything to the party. I was talking with Mark Dungan who attends here and that's what he was talking to me about grace this week. We don't bring anything to the party. That's what grace makes you realize. And then we also build it on attentive hearing and not hurried distraction. And the last thing was we build it on active practice and not passive learning. 
And this is the last key to the foundation that Jesus is talking about. And we find it again in verse 47. So look with me again there. Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. So the person with a foundation is not someone who just hears what Jesus is saying. It's, it's who does what Jesus is telling him to do or her to do. And this is a great danger for us in our culture where we routinely, we separate knowledge from practice. Information, transformation. Hearing and doing. And even our educational system lends itself to this, right? We can know something on a test but then not really know how to implement it in our regular lives. And I, I noticed this when I went to seminary, my first year at seminary. I was like, okay, I could spend three to four years here learning a lot about God and the Bible. I mean, a lot, a lot. And just ingesting this information and not really be made in his image. Not really see the transformation happen. For us today... I wonder how many of us, and myself included, we are theoretical Christians and not practical Christians. But for Jesus in his time, knowing was the same as hearing. To do was to know. To know was to do. To hear was to do. That's this Hebrew conception of knowing. And this is what I mean for us, is that we can watch a YouTube video about making, like, uh, putting up drywall or baking a cake but that's very different than knowing how to put up drywall and bake a cake, right? How many of you have heard of Malcolm Gladwell's like 10,000 hour rule? It means that you have to do something for 10,000 hours to become a professional at it. I think his language is, it takes an estimated 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to be world-class in any field. And this is really what the spiritual practices are about, the spiritual practices of prayer and silence and solitude that we, we come back to a lot here. We call it the yoke at Christ's community. A lot of these disciplines and practices. It's fasting, meditation, Bible study, corporate worship, like what's happening here. And these practices are all about training. It's a training ground. It's practicing. It's, it's about a journey. It's about growing in the way of Jesus. And we often focus on the precepts of Jesus, right? This is what Jesus taught. But it's also the practices of Jesus that transform us. How did he live his life? What was he doing to make sure that he was doing what the Father was telling him to do? And that was through praying and fasting and these other things. And so it, it, it is about disciplined effort. But it is not about earning or merit or striving. God's grace is not opposed to effort. But when we really understand God's grace then we work from a place of approval and not towards it. And so this kind of active practice that Jesus calls us to and that Jesus modeled himself, it requires sacrifices, and we know this. That means, means saying the no to some things and saying yes to others in order that we might say yes to others. It means, it means saying that we're going to give up something in order to gain something. So go with me here. Jacqueline is working, my wife, is working on her nurse practitioner degree. And this comes at a cost. There's a cost to doing it, and there's a cost to not doing it. So the cost for doing it is obviously it's a financial cost, right? Going into a two-year master's degree. It's also a time cost where you're taking two years of intensive study and preparation in order to get this degree and pass the tests that come afterwards. But then there's a cost to not doing it too, which is, you know, there's a pay increase from nursing to nurse practitioner that comes when you have a nurse practitioner degree. So she'd be giving up that cost if she, or that, 
that pay increase if she didn't do it. There's also the reality that being a nurse practitioner is less physically taxing on your body than being a nurse is. So she would be giving up having a job that was just easier on her body. So there's costs, right? Let me give you another example. Because we have to make an honest evaluation. When we're evaluating costs, we have, we have to make an honest evaluation. So if you know me, you know that I do CrossFit, and you know something in this sermon was going to come back to CrossFit, right? <laughs> something was going to come back to CrossFit. So when I started CrossFit, I really had a problem like, with the cost of it. Like, it, it's expensive, the price. Per month, it's, it's a pretty penny to join a CrossFit gym. It's, it's not cheap. And so I was talking about that at the gym. I was attending it up in Chicago, I joined. And so, and this one guy there, he, he shared with me, he said, Ben, okay, let me tell you this. He's like, well, I had just done CrossFit for about f- five years. He had, he had done CrossFit for about five years. And he had grown a lot more fit during that time. And he, he had just quit his job, and he was about to take a new job. And so he had to get reevaluated for his health care premium. And so he went in to get reevaluated, and his health care premium plummeted. And he said, I could pay off five years of CrossFit in two years at my new healthcare premium. And so that's just a little pitch right there. No, it's not. <laughs> my, my, point, my point is, my point is here that there's a cost, there's a cost on both sides, right? And we all know the disciplines of spiritual, the discipline of spiritual practice is going to cost us something. But what is the cost of not doing those practices? What's that look like? And no one puts it better than Dallas Willard. He says this, non-discipleship, so not engaging in the way of Jesus this way, it costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. So we have to ask the question, what am I not gaining from not engaging these practices? And Jesus doesn't mince words either in our passage. What does he say the cost is? He says it costs a life. Because a house that doesn't have a foundation will be destroyed when the flood comes. Where are we building our lives? Have you considered that your survival in your life of faith is based on where you are building your life. Think of your foundation. Some of you here have done the hard work of digging, and you've laid that foundation, but now that you've inspected it, you're like, man, there's some cracks here. It needs to be patched up. Some of you don't have a foundation, and that's okay. Start with God's grace. Some of us here need to remember God's grace. That's the patch that needs to be patched up. Let me remind you that a foundation first needs to be built on God's grace because a faith motivated by guilt won't produce God's fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit has to be produced by the work of God in you. It's got to be the grace of God in your life. And Jesus can do that. He can make you new. Let him. And then a foundation is also built on active listening. In this hurried world, in our hurried lives, we distract ourselves. Many of us are scared to hear what God might say to us, so we avoid him. But let me tell you, he doesn't condemn you. That's not the voice of Jesus. He sees you with eyes of compassion. He wants to speak to you through his word. He wants to speak to you through prayer. 
He wants to speak to you through this community of faith. This is why we're here, so that we would hear his word spoken this morning if he's in this sermon, so that we would be with one another, so that we would encourage each other. Bonhoeffer always said, Christ is always stronger in our brother's heart than in our own, which means that we need people around us to live this life of faith, to encourage us with gospel truths. And so this is the basis of a real relationship with him, and let's practice pausing to hear him this Lenten season. And at last, this foundation is built on active practice. We often stay in the world of the theoretical. That's me. I love ideas. We like information. We don't often like the hard work of practice. But to know God and to be known by him means practice it in Jesus' patterns of life. And I want to leave you with one more final thought. This is it. And I stumbled across this thought while reading an old sermon by Charles Spurgeon. Um, who's an old preacher, and it's like he's, you know, he preached in English, but it's like reading a different language. He made a note of something that I didn't think of when I read this passage, and I tried to figure out what he was getting at. He noted that the foundation is all underground. So when you look at a house, you can't necessarily tell if it has a good foundation. But if you, if you can see all of a house when you're looking at it, then of course it's not worth having. And the same goes with our faith. A wise foundation builder knows that the costliest, the most precious portion of their life is deep underground. It's where people can't necessarily see it, but God can. And this faith lies in the most secret of places. It's deep underground in the depths of our soul and in our being. It stretches down into that bedrock and it rests in these small secret practices of prayer and private devotion and that inward grace. If you, if someone can see, if someone can see all of someone's faith, Charles Spurgeon said, it's a religion of show. It's not a relationship with God. So where are you building your life? Do you want a foundation that is built on bedrock, and when those storms of life come, and when the, when the judgment day comes and we all meet Jesus, that it stands firm. Would you pray, me, pray with me, please? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active, and that we can hear you through it. And we, and we have come here to hear from you this morning, Jesus. So speak to our hearts. Encourage, the head, the, encourage those that are discouraged this morning. Bring hope to those hearts that need it. Holy Spirit, I ask that you administer to people where they are at. Guide us, counsel us, encourage us. We love you, Jesus. We know you love us. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.